This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, we'll buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turn to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts, and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in film and filmmaking, specifically through the career of one particular filmmaker that we have fallen in love with, and his name is Denis Villeneuve. I am probably butchering that name, so for the rest of the episode, we're just going to refer to him as DV. Now, this is the guy behind Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, the sequel, and the upcoming Dune remake. Of course, before we can get into discussions, introductions are always needed. We are again joined by one of our executive contributors, my favorite replicant, actually, and that is one Mr. Buck. Welcome, Mr. Buck. Good morning. Can I can I rant a little bit? Uh oh. Uh oh. We're already gonna do a corner. We're gonna do a corner yeah. for the intro. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. do a corner. All right, All right. Give it to me. All right. Give it to me. U.S. government. Uh oh. Wait. Get rid of the goddamn daylight savings time change. Oh, okay. This is not I, as political as I it, thought it, it was going to be. It is kicking my ass. Like, We're doing you, this you show on daylight And I'm savings. still in bed. And I'm like, well, I, gotta I got like an hour left. Show. Gotta do this show. You got like an hour left. And then I look at the, like the, I shake him, the Google. Like he's a tree on a movie. Like, yeah, yeah, I look at the Nest Hub. And it's like, no, it's it's almost game time. And I'm. I'm I'm angry right now because I just woke up. Well, we're gonna channel I'm not that. A morning person. We're gonna channel that anger. You, into you the know show me. I, I in humor. You, I have my teenage bring mutant ninja turtles cup right now. It's adorable. And and I I I'm gonna yeah I'm I'm I hate uh, the world at the moment. I'm gonna do a tangent off of your tangent. I just found out recently that they are doing another like eight bit sixteen bit you know four what? player. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game in the vein of Time, uh, Lost in Time. What is that game called? Remember oh, that one? Uh, Turtles, Turtles in, in time. time. Yeah, so that's one of my favorite beat 'em ups of all time. So, and, so it's the arcade version. It's not like the original Teenage right. Mutant Ninja it's gonna Turtles. Be, well, it's going to be it's like eight, one of the hardest games ever. Yeah, 
No, yeah. Well, it's going to be Turtles in Time, so very playable, yeah. and of course, it's going to be you know something we download on on consoles. Uh, there's not going to be any arcade cabinets, even though I'd fucking sh- I would I would pay good money to to go what, to a traditional arcade again. I kind of miss was, those. What was the cart arcade that you went to as a kid? What was it called? Because I still remember <sighs> mine. I don't remember. Oh man, mine was called Aladdin's Castle. Oh, I wow. don't know if it was a chain or not. <laughs> but that place was like heaven to me. I would play the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. And then one of the other like great video games. And if I could, if I had one arcade cabinet, I would get this is the Terminator 2. Oh, yeah. With the guns, with, with the, the, like, the machine Uzi. guns. Yeah. I made my dad uh, when I was a kid. You know, we grew up uh, in this era of the birth of, you know, the gaming industry really taking off and my mm. i made my dad play that with me as a kid and it was like probably one of my fondest bonding memories with him same but, thing with my stepdad and i he that was the one that was the only game he would play he would be like you want to go play right uh, he, Terminator my dad 2? was the same way he's like this is the only he would actually ask me sometimes would your stepdad yeah, do same that here yeah <laughs> no john would ask me that he would he would be like dude we're going and then on our way to because it makes you it was feel at the mall like a badass you yeah, know. he was like, "Okay, when when the when the T eight hundreds pop up, you need to shoot them right in the head, and you need to catch <laughs> the chip that comes out of their head because that will give you a power up." And then okay. he would like he would walk through it like like especially when you get to the end level with like the uh, the helicopter uh, yeah. chasing the uh, the police van. He would always be like, "You need you need to like concentrate on shooting the helicopter. I'll concentrate shooting on this and trying to get the power ups." And yeah. It, we 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 made it to a system and we beat it every time so that was a pre-gym gym of the week practically that had nothing to do with the episode but we need to pull but it everything back to because do with we <laughs> we need to pull it back because we are here to talk about one amazing filmmaker dv but of course before we can really dive into the discussion section of this episode we need a we need a little background D.V. was born in October 3rd, 1967 in Quebec, Canada, in the village of Gintilly or Gintilly. He is the oldest of four siblings, and he wears many hats in his career. He's not just a director, filmmaker. He's also a producer, screenwriter. He does a lot to bring his vision to the screen. He began his career in short films, and even when I was doing the research for this episode, I learned that even from the beginning, this guy was winning accolade after act. I mean, it's so impressive just to see how many things he's won from his arguably shorter filmography. This it, guy was born to be a filmmaker. Didn't they used to say he was like the hidden secret out of Montreal or something like that? I don't know that particular namesake, but uh, we will call him that on our show on Art of the Boulder. Yeah, I, I think he he's was a hidden kind gem. Of, That's why we're talking about him. Like, today, yeah, right? he was. He was kind of like a filmmaker, like people that were in the know kind of knew about him before he became really famous. So, And that's that's kind of the heart and soul of the thesis for this episode. I mean, there's so many different kind of filmmakers uh, in the industry, but there's a select few that really can balance making these blockbuster movies and are still very artistic, very much an artist, and arguably, in his case, an auteur. I would I would even argue that he's one of the greatest filmmakers we have right now. Oh, Definitely yeah. of his generation, but he often gets compared to bigger names like Christopher Nolan. The fact, you know, 
For some reason, he's not quite broken through. He's not a household name yet, but I think let's give him, uh, well, Dune's coming out at the end of the year, and he may get there with that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's getting close. I, I almost, he's almost like a, he's almost like a, I want to say he's like a cross between James Cameron and a little bit of Spielberg. I, and ooh, I'll, I'll, I'll explain later a... why I think he's like James Cameron a little bit because okay. 80s James Cameron did like two big things in a row that like well i would say T2 80s and early and 90s alien 2, 2 right he did yeah the best he sequel, made he made better sequels, sequels than the original the original right uh um, well uh, i don't know about that like okay well, alien is great let's the dive alien into 2 the is... discussion section for that but before yeah, we okay. get there it was clear that this guy like i said was gifted almost immediately within this medium his directorial debut was in 1998 with a film called August 32nd on Earth. He went on to do many other shorter films before his really big blockbuster in 2013, which is Prisoners. So I'm just going to go through them pretty quickly, and then we can really start discussing, with, uh, starting with Prisoners. In 2000, he did Maelstrom. 2009, he did Polytechnic, and this is about the shootings that occurred at the Montreal University. And in 2010, he made Incendies. But I actually didn't stumble upon this guy, and I still didn't even know his name when I saw the 2013 film Prisoners. Now, mm-hmm. this is where uh, I I would say that he was brought to an international stage, uh, an international acclaim, but. I didn't really see the art in his artistic abilities as a filmmaker really until his next film, Enemy, in the mm-hmm. in the same year, actually. But before we go there, let's talk about Prisoners a little bit. So Prisoners is the movie that stars Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. It is a uh, more of a traditional thriller. And yeah. as far as um, you know, filmmaking goes, um, since it's a visual medium, uh, you know, it's 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 amazingly directed it's amazingly acted um you know the stories we've seen this kind of story before so i I feel like it didn't really stand out to me as strongly in his filmography but i definitely think it's a film to see nonetheless yeah i it kind of like now you say it that way it kind of sounds like one of those generic scripts that was floating around hollywood a little bit for a while um we sometimes and, hear it on the blacklist, you know, stuff that just the most exciting scripts that just haven't been made yet. Yeah, and, and that they picked it up and kind of and went with it. It's a it's a good movie. It's a good it's thriller. It's a good movie. Yeah. Don't um, get me it wrong. has one of my favorite actors, Paul Dano, in it. Okay. He he does a great job as I actually playing. I didn't know that a, about you, Buck. I didn't know that Paul Yeah, Dano. I, I think it's from There like, Will, there be, will blood. be Blood. Yeah. Yeah, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Jinx yeah it's um so yeah it's um it's yeah it's like you said it's a good thriller um i like the ending actually um but uh yeah this i think this was the start of the bring me back the the was like joints. he didn't really do it right like they were well he didn't really do it this guy and well, well spoiler alert here uh, um, we we're gonna assume everybody out there listening you've already seen these movies if you haven't have tough titties <laughs> yeah and so the dad he's like the the crazy mom like uh puts him in that hole under the car yeah, i remember that he, stuff and he has the whistle and he's blowing it and jake gyllenhaal like right at the end here's the whistle blowing 
because they're doing mm. a crime scene investigation they they haven't found the father yet and he's he's been uh like buried underneath the the car there mm. so it wasn't paul dano right that did it no or paul dano did didn't do it it was his but he was, was the was prisoner mom. in yeah. prisoners right yeah Everyone he was, was one of or them. Hugh Jackman's character was convinced he did it, and then he yeah, tries to convinced torture him because he's a creepy dude that drives around in a in a in a um, rape RV. <laughs> Sorry, it just it <laughs> no, looks like one of those. Yeah, no, I get it. Okay, uh, so let's move on to Enemy, where I have a lot to discuss because right out of the gates, the first thing that hits me is the use of color. So a uh, film is in a visual medium. And we we saw this in the 2000s quite a bit where they would use color gradients to mm-hmm. digitally give the visual tone of the movie a, a specific look. Uh, some of the earliest examples of this is uh, Minority Report with Tom Cruise, uh, mm. Spielberg, and they, they had that kind of bluish, grayish tint to the whole. Now, that was the whole movie, and that was just to give it, I think, a tone. It wasn't for um, any kind of narrative use they did in the matrix too that's exactly what i was going to lead into so the matrix did it in a very narrative way so when they're in the matrix everything had that kind of greenish hue to it and when they were in the real world everything had that kind of bluish grayish same thing like minority port hue and we see and so to bring a full circle we see the same kind of visual tonal uh, use of this color palette in enemy but it 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 does it in a strikingly different way because it uses kind of heavy yellows, yellow greens, yellow oranges to almost create a bit of grit, I think, mm. to how this how the movie looks. And almost I don't wanna for lack of a better word, I don't want to say ugliness, but it definitely mirrors what's going through with the character right yeah Yeah, no it's um i almost put this movie this film in into like that category of like a you know like a fight club or vanilla sky type thing um i would say more vanilla sky or requiem for a dream requiem for a dream psychological thriller and we'll, we'll get into plot stuff and this is where there's a lot more artistic, you know, liberties going oh, yeah. on with the yeah. plot than spiders. Right. We need to talk about the symbolism definitely before we move on to his next film, Sicario. Uh, and there is a spider spider imagery throughout the entire movie, right? Mm-hmm. And what do we do when we see a spider? Right? We flinch. We we move away flinch. from it. Yeah. And so the. Um, the movie deals with doppelgangers as well. He thinks he sees a, a version of himself uh, out in the world. Like, I didn't know I had a twin kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas the reality of the story is that he it's, it's dealing with, he's dealing with commitment issues. Yep. And that is how uh, DV wants to essentially show the audience how he's dealing with that internally so he's not really seeing his doppelganger in my opinion a lot of people may argue against that i don't think he's actually seeing this is all going inside his mind yeah he's arguing with himself about the type of person he wants to be and what he's doing um because he knows like you know he's he's having an affair um he's kind of living a double life i don't even know if that's real though 
You know, mm. I don't even I, I still think a lot of it is going on in his head. And we're as the audience, we're seeing that being played out. Right. Since yeah. film is a visual medium, we don't we don't want to be bored to tears with sure. uh, with, you know, there being, uh, you know, him, him just explaining what's going on in his head. We want to see it. Right. And mm-hmm. it, it, it creates a, a better visual language. And the spider actually, in my humble opinion, again, what represents the actual commitment because yeah. by the end we have a very famous CG scene where he's opening the door to go to, to see his wife. And there's a gigantic, almost like a jump scare spider there. Yeah. And it, it, it cringes at him. It cringes like away. It's almost afraid. Yeah. Afraid of, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal because they don't, he, you know, and then it could be argued that the spider is also his wife in a way and it's supposed yeah. to be he's supposed to be seeing his wife but in 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 the place of her is this giant fucking spider that is is you just have to see it so if anybody out there hasn't i feel like this is my pre-gym gym of the week I, I couldn't think of a really good one for this week and i would say enemy is is some for some reason it is often overlooked in his filmography and people don't give it a chance please please give it a chance yeah, I think it's it's one it's actually one of his better films. Oh, um, oh my god, yes. And and I think yeah, that's the thing. I, I've 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 always recommended this movie to a lot of people and I think I bought it for it, my brother. Oh really? My, my brother is a is a film nerd like a lot of us and he had never seen it, so I just bought it for him. I just was like, here you go. Merry Christmas or whatever the fuck it was at the time. What else do you want to say about Enemy before we move on? I think uh, another thing I wanted to talk about is I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be like his guy. You know, a lot of filmmakers, directors, an easy example is Scorsese and De Niro or DiCaprio um, now or Nolan and or Nolan and Tom Hardy. You know, like they use a lot of the same actors. Well, Nolan uses uh, Kane in every movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he there's a bunch for Nolan. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. Kane, there's Tom Hardy, there's there's a bunch of guys and uh, gals. What's the lady's you... name? Um, oh, the French, the French lady, French beautiful goddess you know, of a woman. Uh, she was in. Co- um, it's a Cotillard. She was in Inception, the the yeah. female lead. Yeah, I I that sounds right. I don't remember her name, and I'm probably gonna butcher it. But yes, the female yeah. lead in Inception. She's he's yeah. I like how he he retains a lot of. It's kind of old school, kind of like Kurosawa esque maintaining like a lot of the a lot of the same characters i like it oh gosh or not characters actors yeah oh you're still talking about nolan yes absolutely yeah um and yeah so i thought so i guess my point is yeah i thought because we saw him in enemy or i mean in prisoners and then an enemy and i thought he was just gonna keep using him off yeah he really hasn't done that since both of those were released in the same year i think or and so 2013 yeah it, it does make sense like if Hall stuck with the guy for two films in a row, yeah, you would have thought that, but it didn't happen. It's okay. So let's move on to, uh, so he switches gears. Uh, so Prisoners was a traditional thriller. Enemy was a psychological thriller. And then Sicario was more of like an action, you know, a character-driven piece. I, again, I like, I fucking love Sicario. I really almost like his entire filmography. Yeah, and that one hits a little close to home. Why? Why? Why do you feel that way? Uh, well, Novo, I didn't let you know that I used to be in a a drug. You used meal to be in a cr- Mexican drug cartel. <laughs> no, I was living in Tucson at the time. Uh, um, yeah. 
when that came out. So but he was just playing coy. He really was in a Mexican drug cartel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was living in Tucson at the time, and you would hear about this stuff all the time at the on the news when it came out. Like when I lived in Tucson, it was at the height of the the cartel wars. And the first thing I wanted to do was go down to Mexico, like have lunch, go to the, down to Nogales, and everybody was like, yeah, no. So, yeah, this is like a neo-noir Western action yeah. thriller film. It stars Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, and Josh Brolin. And this really uh, was, I feel like there's a definitely, when you start getting into his career, there's a DNA of what he likes to make. He likes yeah. thrillers. He likes making you think about things. And it it starts to the story constantly makes you think who the good guys and the bad guys really are. Yeah. It's and a morality. Sure. An existentialism kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where, again, it it's more, I think a lot of people could see this and they're just like, Oh, it's a cool action movie, but there's a lot of, uh, yeah, for lack of a better word, existentialism in it and you know, making you just think about who you are again, which is again, at the end of the day, art is about, you know putting a mirror to all of us and thinking about our our human condition i don't i don't mean to get so deep but no uh, no i think it's deep no but it really is it's it's mainly about who really are the good guys and the bad guys so we have this preconceived notion that you know we're coming into this as you know the dea the fbi and the cia to an extension extension here they're all out for our best interests and stuff, and they're all trying to protect us. But what we don't understand, and I think this is covered well in this movie and also like Narcos or something like that, the Netflix oh, series, yeah. is what really takes place in the background. Like a lot of Some people don't know. <laughs> yeah, the DEA was totally going after Pablo Escobar, but at the same time, at that time. Well, they got to uh, break this... a lot of rules to get the bad guy. Well, so, exactly. But like. Know during that same time period, the CIA was working with them to transport drugs and stuff. So weird stuff. Like, so there, it's kind of similar in this show or this film um, where you have, yeah, you, they have to break a lot of rules. They have to bring in people that aren't necessarily the most savory people that you end up finding out. <laughs> um, and then yeah. it, it's really, yeah. Like you said, existential uh, morality clause, like, what what is really right would you do the right thing or would you do something that would be for the better good and sometimes those don't two those two things don't always align i buck shit man well put couldn't have said it better myself i um it's definitely i mean he has he has such a gift it, again it's it is the is the story gonna be absolutely groundbreaking new different not, not necessarily but it's still an amazing entertaining watch uh again just perfectly directed perfectly acted uh, the story the narrative moves along great you're, you're never great, gonna be bored great casting and i mean, I mean benicio del toro I mean, I I've love always him. liked him. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've loved him since Snatch. Like when he would do just like the weirdest fucking roles on the planet. Yeah, and I mean, we such need more of him and stuff like this. I I know they made he's, he's commonly too, but... the um, Latin America, commonly called I think the Brad Pitt of Latin America. Yeah, he's the Latin Brad Pitt. Um, but yeah, and then uh, Josh <laughs> Brolin, who I I I his ever best since, role of uh, course is Goonies. Goonies is the brother. Goonies. Yeah. The older brother. Um, the older brother. Um, can't remember the name. I think it was but, his uh, very first role ever. 
Yeah, but I, you know, I, I, you know, and what we really jumped about started class. his career again was uh, No Country for for Old Men, and I thought he was perfectly cast in that. So, a uh, Brolin. Yeah, yeah. We I feel like that period is where he really broke through. You yep. know, he did True Grit. He did Planet Terror. Remember that movie? The no, uh, I've the never seen feature. that. Yeah, Planet Terror and um, Death Proof was a was a was this one of double those roundhouse things or grindhouse? Uh, grindhouse, right? Yeah. It was um, grindhouse. <laughs> it was Rodriguez, which is God. We should do a show on him. I love Rodriguez's work. Uh, and uh, talk about talk about using color and an artistic uh, tone, uh, like color palettes and tone. Because he did. Uh, Robert Rodriguez did Sin City. He did uh, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff where he used that things in the two thousands. Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> oh, that was more of a family friendly <laughs> film. But anyways, yeah, Grindhouse was a double feature between Rodriguez and Tarantino. Uh, and I actually want to do an entire episode on Death Proof one of these days. That's I feel like mm. such an underrated Tarantino film. It's actually one of my favorites, um, and such an underrated horror tale. But let's get out of the corner, the tangent corner, and talk about the fact that yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he did True Grit. He did No Country for Old Men. Um, he did um, Planet Terror, like I said. He was just like on a fucking roll. And now he's uh, now he's Thanos. Now he's doing those, you know. And he was great at well, Thanos. Yeah, I think I, I like the I like done. the MCU. I think they. I, I feel like some of those movies deserve like oh, like Academy Awards and shit. Yeah, well, for some things, um, yeah, I think they're good for popcorn flicks. Yeah, yeah. I, they're not going to make you think um, about your life. I did like him as Cable in in Deadpool. Um, Deadpool is probably one of which, my favorite of those movies. Yeah, yeah, which is a beloved kind of character um, that goes, you know, has his. He's the uh, antithesis, right, of Deadpool. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the, the antithesis the of yeah of, of Deadpool, the crazy so. Deadpool <laughs> character. Yeah, so, so yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how, since Disney now owns Fox, how they're going to bring in yeah, the X-Men I, universe. I, I love hard R. You know, everything we do here at NDP has a, uh, <laughs> always passes hard past R. the line to R. You know, we like the language. We like the graphic content. And I like it in the stuff, you know, that we watch and we want to talk about. And Deadpool, I remember seeing Deadpool in the theaters and I'm being like, this is going to be fucking huge. Like, this is gonna yeah. make so, and it and it. I think it's uh, it may not hold the record. At the time, I remember it holding the record for the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. I think it might have been beat by Deadpool too, but or one of the John Wicks. I can't remember. Ooh, John Wicks good too. I like that shit. John. Anyways, <laughs> I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> Let's pull it back and go to my my personal favorite movie in his filmography, and that is Arrival. I actually mm. own this one and. I think, God, um, where to begin? I think uh, something in the medium that is film that other things we can't talk about in other things is pacing. Yeah. Now, Arrival does something that is almost impossible to do. It's a slow burn, but at the exact same time, captivating. Yeah, I. so a couple things with this. Um, I, you know, you called me actually about this after you saw it. I think I don't even remember you right after you saw it, you called me and said, you need to go see this. 
I haven't seen a science fiction film this oh okay I do remember this good in in a long time and you will absolutely love it because you know me I'm also a big science fiction guy and I I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a little disappointed in in yeah what's come out lately we well we've had there I feel like the 2010s there was a bit of a renaissance honestly with science fiction but you a had bit, to dig yeah. it wasn't on the big screen too much it was mostly oh, no. like in netflix and stuff it was mostly on the what they call the little screen <laughs> <laughs> nerd alert <laughs> take it take it home and watch it on the small screen <laughs> enjoy it with you and your family but arrival so you know at the heart and soul i think of good art and good especially at filmmaking is is just a great story. So this was based on a short story and I have always been a fan of uh non-traditional narrative um uh points and that is uh, a big strong thing they do in the movie is flash forwards instead of flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And the very first scene does that. But you, you're you're but convinced you think it, you're seeing a flashback though. Yeah, you're convinced you're seeing a flashback when it's actually a flash forward and you don't actually yeah. learn that until later in the film. And the film again is again even though it's a striking science fiction tale and it's it's you know on the surface it's just a fun story. Again, it's it's uh do you see a pattern here? It's it it's making you think about your own life. There's an existential mm-hmm. element here. And this is more specifically with communication, how yep. we communicate, how we should communicate, uh, how we need to communicate. I mean, yeah. fuck, especially in our social media era where we are so bad at it. Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more, this is a plug for my book. <laughs> Read or listen to the entropy sessions where I essentially bitch about it for an entire fiction an entire book's length of a fictional tale what gives it five out of five stars a book for this generation um i wish um no you're probably gonna hate it (laughs) that's what i tell everybody you'll probably hate it it's like i i compare myself to the uh, captain beefheart of writing it's like you're gonna probably hate it but uh we'll see we'll see what people say go ahead go ahead Um, anyways arrival yeah Arrival. I, I think you're you're spot on with the communication part of it. It's yeah. also um it brings up that I can't remember what's that story where if you looked in the mirror you could see yourself in the future and um Ooh God what I don't know. I don't um Yeah, like whether you would want to see that and know that and whether so it's basically yeah, like if you had knowledge of what was going to happen in the future, would you still would you change something or would you still do it because of the good things? Even that if came you know there's a, a a sad or, ha- a sad or ending. A, yeah, a bad thing that's going to occur. But but would you yeah. do it just just to live that experience from because it, of well, yeah, I think that's I mean, fuck, we're doing it right now. I mean, and then that what's life all about? Life's all yeah. about is you, you can't really appreciate the good without the bad, right? You have exactly. to have you have to have fucking 2020 uh those years to realize oh you know the simple things in life aren't really are 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 really what it's all about it's it's a it's a tragic story in the end and it it's it's almost like it's a the main story is kind of enveloped in 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 a science fiction kind of overscape here but it's really just about you know like you said being human and yeah. and 
would you still do the things that you would do? Like, even though it's talking about things that happen in the future, if you looked back on those things, would you still do the same things that you've done in your life? It's, it's, it, it almost works to both ways on this. And you, you see like between the two main characters, there's this dichotomy here where they're one, obviously she's going to do it because she knows that feeling. And she's, she knows that even though the tragedy is going to happen, she's going to get immense joy and, and love out of it. Whereas the other character is like, very pragmatic straightforward like why would you even do that if you knew it was going to happen again it brings up this duality of like what would you do in those types of situations and i think that's again what makes a great movie i i'm glad you brought up dualism because anybody that's heard our show knows that novo loves fucking dualisms i'm absolutely obsessed with um things that you know dualisms or Equally so, the oxymoron things that shouldn't go together but do for some reason. I I I find them so fascinating, and we see that littered through. I should say littered. We we see it <laughs> sprinkled through his his filmography almost everywhere, where you know things that shouldn't work work, um, and vice versa. And then yeah, also making you feel that way about about things and how and and that's I think because <laughs> you know. And on one hand, yes, life is about looking at this, you know, the simple things, the little things, what, what, what really is the purpose of life? But also, on the other hand, you know, it is complicated. It's extremely complicated. There's nuance, there's how you how you live it, how you experience it, how you look at it is different based on culture and society and where you are uh, financially, socioeconomically, it's it's so complicated. But at the exact same time, it's so so simple and there is another dualism for you um and it's it's uh it's an amazing see we're doing it right now i mean we're mm -hmm. uh, just talking about the artistic uh emphasis in the movie and how it's supposed to make you feel and think about things and it's just really opened up so much in your and how to think about things and so i urge anybody that hasn't seen this pro most people probably have seen this one it was a really big hit um before we move on i do want to talk about some smaller elements and that is uh, the creature design now the creature design um uh, often gets you know i i think i've even seen interviews with dv and some of the other people behind the movie and it got a lot of acclaim for trying to be truly alien because unfortunately as humans that make up this shit make up science mm -hmm. fiction we can't help but always put ourselves into the creature design right oh, yeah. and um you know actual you know uh ridley scott's alien is a perfect example of that he has two arms two legs he just has this big long head to make him look like an alien but he's They're really humanoid he looks humanoid yeah, yeah exactly we always put humanoid aliens because that's easier for us to comprehend exactly and this one, I, it is less humanoid, but at the end of the day, I actually would give it a little bit of constructive criticism that it's still, it's still there in my eyes. I still see kind of a human figure, even if it's long, it's kind of squid like. So it's still earthy. Do you think it's a little and, Lovecraftian? That's what I kind of got uh, out, of, out of it a little so, bit. Yeah, Lovecraftian. So tentacles. Uh, yes and no. Cthulhu. Uh, Cth I say Cthulhu. 
it doesn't matter know. potato it potato yeah potato. so yes and no talk about another dualism right i think it can yeah. kind of be in that camp but not at the same time and, and to me it's still there's still an earthly element to it because it's it, it just looks like marine life to me it looks like a squid so i would say if i were to give an example of something that i thought was truly alien you know from our imaginations that did not look humanoid would be natalie portman's uh annihilation film ah yeah which which Where, is a movie that surprised me well and, it, and there is a part i'm gonna i'm gonna get flack for this because there's a part that there is a humanoid alien part of it but yeah. before before that when it just looks like this big geometric figure thing mm -hmm. and she's looking into this abyss of light uh, essentially yeah uh, i feel like that is what i'm meaning when i say it's truly alien I, I, there nothing else is ever compared to that yeah i agree and i did like the design of the alien in the film and what i was more interested in was the language patterns and how they get they got into that and then Right. that's it, the important part the yeah. important part the narrative that is the narrative with it was was that the language that they used was was not linear it was circular right. and it didn't matter um where you started reading it the message because it it, it was uh in a circle it was right. um it, it didn't really have a beginning or an end and you, when you start thinking about that you start wrapping your head around what that would mean and how you would actually be able to communicate with a being like that and and that's the whole point of the film is they start learning how to communicate and then they start thinking and dreaming uh and, and their in language that way in, in that their communication, way that, that causes that language, the time, yeah. time now before we move maybe. on uh to blade runner 2049 i i would be amiss if i didn't talk about the amazing music in this film jesus mm. fucking christ it is so good uh partly because if you've seen some of our other episodes we've already talked about this artist his name is max richter that's kind of the yep. theme of the movie is his uh blue note notebooks piece on the nature of daylight i remember um i remember hearing that piece and some of the close to the first actor i think it's even in the opening credits and it, it, you know my 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 ears perked up right my eyes mm -hmm. lit up i was like oh fuck that's max that's max richter right here what a perfect and now it's it's used in a lot of different films yeah uh, but it, it definitely created the theme for i think the, the the melancholy essence of where the story goes and then the other um so that that was that was already a completed track that was just used in the movie but the the music that was made during production was by johan johansson and he mm -hmm. um i think yeah god rest his soul uh he actually has passed away but what a god we should do a whole episode on this guy what what an absolute um innovator in oh, yeah. in film scoring and um he used i think when i was doing actually not even the research for this when i i, I love special features and seeing the behind the scenes stuff i've always been mm -hmm. obsessed with that too and he used a throat i think like a throat singing artist that doesn't traditionally sing uh with a normal vocal it's it's done only with their throat to create that very otherworldly visceral uh is this sound. like one of those mongolian throat singers yeah like a throat i don't know if it's mongolian but yes a throat singer that yeah. he actually i think had to put the the uh the mic down here oh uh, okay like at his at his adam's apple yeah 
but it, it's what he did with it obviously he manipulated it in like a pro tools or you know a production sure. uh software to to give it more of that you know musicality to it but it it does it to pretty much an amazing effect yeah i um funny story about the uh, about the film score um i i saw this with my parents um oh oh <laughs> and um what was funny is i i turned my mother on to max richter several years ago and she's like obsessed with him nice. so when that's hard you to heard do that, for that generation too yeah but to she loves more classical, classical. Oh, okay. yeah she loves cla- well she loves Van Halen and she loves classical music. Well, I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Could be on uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. She loves Van Halen. Yeah, but give I, me some I, goddamn jump. And I then gave, gave her some goddamn Beethoven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gave her that CD that uh, you introduced me to was uh, his rescore of Vivaldi's Four Seasons, and she absolutely loves it. So when she heard Max Richter come on screen, she audibly turned to me and many people in the rows turned around and looked at her when she said she goes it's max richter <laughs> see yeah I, I feel like it's yeah. that recognizable of a piece it's that pretty much perfectly constructed piece yeah i i still listen to it it's one of those pieces kind of like a clint mansell where if for some reason though it's it's melon you know it's very it's usually using minor scales and there's a melancholy to it 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 makes me feel better like if i'm having a bad day i'll listen to some of that kind of classical music and i'm just yeah. i can feel better almost immediately oh yeah yeah definitely so um so in conclusion on arrival it is a perfect film <laughs> and um let's move on to blade runner 2049 another science fiction tale now i am probably gonna get a lot of heat for this don't care um come at me I was not as impressed with Blade Runner 2049. Now, don't get me wrong. Just like we always use like Radiohead for this uh, example analogy is now compared to everything else, Blade Runner is is amazing. It's it's a great, great sequel. But in his specific filmography compared to his other work, I feel like it it didn't always hit the mark for me. Uh, You couldn't agree. You couldn't disagree. more. Give it to me. Give it to Uh. me. Give it to me, Buck. Um, so here, fuck. so let me, so let me give a little background here. I feel like this is the Massive Attack episode all over again. It's like <laughs> I couldn't disagree with you more, Nova. I Go love ahead. the original Blade Runner. I am a yeah, science you're fiction more of a blade. Nerd. Yeah, you're more yeah, of a blade I, head than I am. I know some people hate it because they think it's too slow or whatnot. It, it again, is a slow it's like, burn. It's a slow burn, but that's what makes it a great film. And there's been a million different re-edits and recuts. Oh God, whatever. But <laughs> this is why I was comparing him to Cameron. I okay. actually like this, yeah, and I circle. could I could get stabbed in the in the eye for saying this too. I actually like this better than than the original. Oh, I would agree with that. Um, I would. I would. I would. Ugh, I don't want to say. Sometimes I feel like it's boring. Oh God! It, don't well, come yeah. after me. No, 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 no. Blade it's it's a slow burn. It, Blade Runner has its. I do love it. Slow moments. I gotta be in the mood for it, right? Yeah, but I thought this one was the motion level was so much. There was yeah. so much more emotion to it, and the score to this thing is oh, yeah. beautiful. Um, I listen to it sometimes just to get me in that mood, but um, 
yeah, I, I sexy think sexy mood. What kind of mood? So, <laughs> no, it's just like this, like kind of uh, cyberpunk. Kidding, like, kidding, not kidding. Kind of, and not not the game, the the um, you know, the terrible release of of a game, but uh, cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. But no, this was um, it, it, I don't know. I just love the atmosphere of it. I've always loved that kind of cyberpunk kind of aesthetic and feel and i love just because maybe it and maybe it's more because i'm a blade runner fan um Mm -hmm. just how like true to the um the universe they 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 stayed you know like you know the the uh soviet union still exists like (laughs) so let me um, say this so i think very very few hands could bring this property to life and i'm glad yeah. it was dv because even though i wasn't a huge fan and part of that is i'm just not a, a big a big fan like you are of the blade yeah. runner uh aesthetic and well no I, I like well i like cyberpunk aesthetic but i think maybe just the universe in it in and of itself but i will say this it had it couldn't it, it was so hard to land and he did nail that yeah he stuck the landing on it and and you're right like there are very few directors that could do this. Now, one thing I will say, did we need this film? And I would say no. <laughs> not not really. I, I don't I, know. I, we did not need a sequel to Blade Runner. Grab. I think, it, you know, no. DV is clearly an artist and an auteur, <laughs> and it, pro- it had to have been a passion project for him. Well, I he think just, it, it, it's it just was. just on a blockbuster scale and budget. And, and honestly, it didn't make that much money. And right. For, it did, I mean, it, it it recouped, but not as much as the production company wanted it. Right. Like yeah. It, and I, I could probably they see wanted this it was, to be like an avatar, like was, billions and billions. But yeah, it I, was this Warner Brothers that I, I can't remember, but they were Let probably talking the studio. That was probably the case is that they were like, oh, my God, we got to, you know, we're, <laughs> we're doing this in every single movie cash grab. We're trying to find some. Oh, movie man. that was made in the 80s that everybody loved and we're trying to make a sequel it was off warner it because, brothers yeah and oh of course you know, no my, well my the favorite distribution studio. was warner brothers and sony and the production company was actually alcon and columbia with some okay, other but smaller ones i i have so i guess that just brothers, i forget it, that some of that stuff gets so complicated i kind of forget you know if they own if the distributor owns the rights or just the, owns the rights to releasing it like how that kind of stuff but i think it's more columbia pictures okay well it anyway we I, it's just this <laughs> yeah go on <laughs> no this this culture that we live in especially in film right now which i'll, I'll kind of end things on a little bit but i i definitely saw this as a studio looking as oh my god we did make so much work we have like we already have this property we have this property we're going to Let's... milk it for everything we yeah we've got. we have this ip people have been wanting a sequel for years if it's done in the right if we put it in the right hands if we don't it, make it a be... sequel we're going to lose the rights to it yeah i'm looking at the i'm looking at the um like spider budget versus box office right now so it was made for approximately 150 to 100 185 and it only made 260 so if anybody yeah. that hasn't studied this stuff out there uh let me give you a little easy math equation so you want to do budget times two because there's marketing and shit like that and they have to obviously have to pay the actors and film crew but there's also the the other half of uh filmmaking is just marketing your, marketing your work right it's, it's like uh so let's say it was pharmaceuticals three, right let's say it was 
so even on the low end, 150 million times two is 300 million. They did not recoup their costs, not mm -hmm. even close. So there you go. So I doubt they'll make another Blade Runner anytime soon, but it is a good film. Check it out. And uh, I think this is a perfect lead into the upcoming film in October, Dune, that is another hard science fiction tale that in the wrong hands would, and we can talk about its legacy uh, in some of the wrong hands. Uh, but I think this is a perfect filmmaker for to really finally bring Dune to life. Half the problem of like Lynchian's Dune, uh, Lynch's Dune was it just, they didn't have the technology to really bring that vision to life. Well, they didn't have the technology. And I think some of the choices that he made really rubbed fans the wrong way, the wrong way, like making, uh, um, like what? Well, you know Paul, this better than me. Paul Atreides is not really supposed to be viewed as the hero of the film. Right. We're actually supposed to be kind of, or the book or the story. Um, you're actually supposed to be kind of afraid and, because and you know, there's a lot it, it was hard to adapt right this is how i understand well, it they've from been trying pure, to do this for so long well i think from a pure narrative standpoint because there's a lot of i've never actually read the book full disclosure so there, there's but i understand there's a lot a lot of introspection right there's a lot of what's going on in his head instead of action outside of his head right? yeah and, and and you could hear that a little bit in in the lynch film where you know you could hear the inner monologue of the characters and things like that um yeah this is just a the tough film medium, to make. though yeah yeah the, it's a tough film to make not just from that standpoint but also the issues that it, it touches it, it's um even today <laughs> um you know they use the term jihad a lot and mm -hmm. um a lot mm -hmm. of there's a lot of um middle eastern influence on on some of the religious movements and things like that um, and that's another big touchy subject is it's, it's a story about around that shit. Yeah. Politics and religion and how you can, you can really use those two to ma manipulate a lot of things. So, um, there's God, talk about the art of politics and yeah. Yeah. There's an art to that as well, which there definitely we've, we is. have, <laughs> we have discussed in an episode that probably will never reach the light of day. We angry. have talked about the art of communication, specifically in politics. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard to talk about without rubbing fucking everybody the wrong way. Jesus. But I mean, historically, if you look at it, especially, I mean, you know, especially since the early 20th century, um, I mean, you could, you could go back all the way to early republics too, and how they use some of this propaganda. But I mean, yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting and it definitely is an art form. I think especially in modern media it was brought up in 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 Germany more than anything, but um in the 30s, but I mean, yeah, this brings up a lot of that um those tones, you know, fascism, you know, religious theocracies. Mm. A lot of a lot of these really touching hard subjects that I, I think is 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 really kind of hard to translate overall. But I, I think you're right. There 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 was definitely a technology element, and and the thing sure. about the Lynch version that always bothered me is when it came out, there was definitely some technology out there. I mean, there was Star Wars and stuff that looked twenty times better. Um, right, and then uh, just to focus on that for a little bit. The previews we've seen look breathtaking. Like the the oh, visual yeah, yeah. aesthetic is I'm sure clearly finally it. there, and it's it's clearly going to be nailed. 
Um, and again, if this wasn't in the right hands, it may have really faltered again. I'd give the good people a little history lesson on there is there was another version of Dune that uh, I don't think I ever actually saw the light of day, right? Yeah, the Jar- uh, Jarwarski, um version. Um, and I think we've brushed up on this a little bit, but well, that was there- like in a pre-show. I think we. I don't oh. think we actually ever recorded us talking. Yeah, about it, so go there, ahead. There's and- a great uh, documentary. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I've I've uh, um, used this as a gem of the week, but I'll, I'll go ahead and use it now. Uh, it's okay. called Jodorowsky's Dune, but I I suggest everybody go out and watch it. But um, is it an actual film or just a documentary about him trying to make? The it's film? <laughs> it's a documentary because it was uh, basically he never actually made it right. No, but it almost happened. Uh, so so ambitious. T- tell it them was about so that. So ambitious. So um, I'm I'm pulling up because I want to I want to get this guy's uh, name correct. Uh, it's Alejandro Jodorowsky. He was a film director, filmmaker. He mainly did a lot of art sort of pieces. Um, his I would say that most of his work was not. It, it was not mainstream. He was definitely known as kind of a cult uh, filmmaker, but he basically got this chance to uh, make, they asked him, he got a, a studio deal and they said, what do you, what do you want to make? What do you want to do? And he said, I want to make Dune. And mm. I believe this was back in the, the mid seventies when he was doing this, but it, it had like some amazing, uh, I'm looking at the cast right now. He had like, people like salvador dolly oh he yeah wanted, that's right yeah so salvador dolly was supposed to be the emperor <laughs> we have a whole the... show on surrealism <laughs> if you want to hear more about salvador dolly yeah <laughs> and and basically Sal. so the story behind salvador dolly oh, was gosh. like he said he would agree to it as long as he was the highest paid um, of course highest yeah, paid of course this guy actor in hollywood and <laughs> so this guy Jodorowsky was like sure and they were like trying to figure out how they could like film all of his scenes in a day and it was like something like he wanted to be paid a hundred thousand dollars an hour or something like that it was it was something ridiculous uh for the 70s and stuff which was a lot of money but uh they had basically um uh who was it uh Orson Welles was was uh was apparently supposed to be on it Gloria Swanson David Carradine and Mick Jagger Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> oh, I want to see that movie now. <laughs> Let me yeah. see that movie now. And, and the cool thing about the documentary is like they show a lot of the concept art, and it it it. I think somebody says in the in the documentary that they wanted it to be a, like an acid trip on screen, and it 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 definitely looks like one. It definitely was. Um, yeah, but one of the cool things about it was uh, what was rumored for a while was that the um who was supposed to do the soundtrack was Pink Floyd. Oh. Um, and there's, I would have liked there's, that. Yeah, I think, I think they, they kind of allude to that some of the music that was created ended up going in the dark side. Mm. Makes but, sense. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I think it starts out, the film, the documentary starts out with Nicholas Winding, what's his name? Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, the guy, the director of Drive, uh, who's oh, talking. Uh, oof. I know. Yeah, I know those kinds of movies. I just don't. I don't remember his name. 
So. Yeah, he's basically he's starting out explaining like he's he met up with Jodorowsky and he's like, oh, you got to see. I almost tried to make Dune one time and he pulls out this book and he was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So it's considered the one of the greatest movies that wasn't ever made. Never so, made. Yeah. Well, so it's definitely uh, we, an interesting thing to check out. Yeah. Well, we are absolutely excited for oh. DV's Dune. Yes. One other yes. thing. Guess who was supposed to be one of the artists for it? What do you mean, like actor like artists? One of the concept artists. Yeah. Uh, oh. For character Tell design us. and things. Tell us. Geiger. Oh fuck! Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, that was another thing. I love so, Geiger. So there was all these like really amazing people that were associated with this, and it just it just never that happened. Was, yeah, that was supposed to be attached to it, and just uh, the greatest film that yeah. never that was never made. But we are incredibly excited about DV's Dune. I think I think it's uh, for not being a huge Dune fan either. I I I have a feeling I'm gonna probably really like it. I doubt I'll love it, but I think it'll finally be a proper film adaptation right yeah i i would say I, i'm gonna have a hard time because i don't i don't think just being read the book a few times um being a huge fan of it i don't know if i can ever get full satisfaction from a film adaptation but sure i think i think he'll do it right i think he'll he'll do yeah. it justice um i'm curious to see what changes he makes i'm a little concerned about the casting um um it, it I seems like a little gimmicky no, I like the casting. I feel like that's a lot of some of our best talent we have right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and young actors too. Um, like Chalamet. I know Chalamet Ch is Chalamet. Yeah. I think he's. You know, okay. He's, he's all right. There. We don't. We don't have to go there. Well, uh, there you have it, you beautiful people. The filmography and career to this day of Mr. Denis Villeneuve. Uh, he's clearly an artist for our times, and this is, uh, you know, we're still in the middle. I think there's a lot to come, and how he'll continue to bring us amazing works into the future, and we cannot wait for what comes next. But before we go, of course, we have a little icing on the cake, a little something we like to call Jim of the Week, something that doesn't quite always make it into the uh, actual episode, but it can sometimes be connected nonetheless. Uh, I kind of already gave my gym of the week in the middle of the episode, and that is checking out Enemy. I want to say that. I'm going to give a non-connected gym of the week after Mr. Buck goes, but I, uh, I definitely want to say Enemy is a, an often um, overlooked piece of his work that needs uh, much more investigation and analysis so give it a try yeah and um i i similar to you i i kind of already spoiled my uh gem of the week with jordaworski's dune so definitely check it out but i do have another uh gem of the week and that is the state of arizona uh not for political reasons or anything uh like that but the state of arizona does not recognize uh daylight savings time and so ah. that's fantastic, and and I kind of <laughs> wish brought, we brought it around we, circle. We brought we it always, back. We always get there. We always uh, we started with him it was bitching wonderful about when I lived there. Time and it's they one of the few do things it. I loved about living there. Other than that's not political. Yeah. I would, well, it could be. Well, in this fucking well, in this age climate. of Twitter and shit, there's gonna be there's gonna be someone that complains, and I'm the color I'm of my beard is gonna. I'm be I'm almost excited. Political. 
I'm almost excited to hear how someone could bitch about that, but it'll come. It'll come. It's okay. It's okay. It's, okay. it's what I, I just, I let's get rid of it. <laughs> it, it, it it's dra- I'm dragging ass today because of it. So thank you. Thank you. Get rid of it. <laughs> My non connected gym of the week is I'm definitely late to the party and you can have a second gym of the week buck if you want to. Um, I'm probably late to the party, but I've been watching Shit's Creek on Netflix <laughs> and great. I, I get it. I get it. It's fucking great. It's so funny. It's, it's definitely a very specific type of humor and uh, you'll see that from episode to episode, but uh, I'm I'm having a lot of fun uh, getting into it. I'm on season three, and I'll probably fucking I'm one of those people that could just knock out the shit in my free time. So I'll probably finish it in the next week or two. And yeah, you got another one for us? <sighs> oh, I put well, him on the spot. I, I, like, I you like know, to I was going to I was going to say the state of Indiana because most of the state of Indiana. <laughs> He's just also... doing states this week, guys. <laughs> did it, He's literally did it, doing uh, states this week. Didn't uh, recognize daylight savings. <laughs> There's an art I... to state making. Sure. Yeah. And then I read that the, that it, they started observing daylight savings time. So no, I'm not going <laughs> to give them the uh, the you know the pleasure of having me uh, <laughs> recommend them. So. No, uh, Arizona, good job. You you did it well. Uh, you he's, he's doubling down on his first gem. That's, <laughs> that's so funny. His second gem is the first gem again. Yep. Oh, that's good. All right, guys. If you like that, you can check us out and follow us at underscore Novo underscore day. And that is D-E and at Novo Day Media. You can, of course, check us out at our website, NovoDayProductions.com, where you'll find products like the Entropy Sessions, both in uh, written form and we have an audio book you can check out. We consider that to be the definitive uh, way to experience the story. So go ahead and check that out as as well as adult alteration post meridium and much more to come so until next time guys be good to each other and as always good luck and godspeed we love you art of the beholder is brought to you by novo day productions created and hosted by novo day and the novo day collective facebook.com slash novo day media at novo day media on twitter and instagram edited mixed and mastered by philip church facebook.com slash philip church pro vo nerd music by a company Facebook.com slash ACO Music 123, ACO on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J E S T U S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.